Jesus brings peace between sinners and God, and his disciples are meant to promote his peace through the ministry of reconciliation. As we continue this sermon series on the Beatitudes, looking at the portrait that Jesus paints with these eight characteristics of who his disciples are meant to be, what his disciples are meant to look like, we now turn to the sixth uh, Beatitude, or the seventh Beatitude, uh, rather. And so if you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Matthew 5 as we read verses 2 through 8. Matthew 5, 2 through 8. Now God's word for God's people. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be called comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heaven. It, it is perfect, reviving the soul. And we trust God to revive our souls this morning with his perfect word. You may be seated. Let us pray. God, our Father, we thank you that you called us to be peacemakers. We acknowledge that we oftentimes ignore making peace and defer to keeping the peace, which falls woefully short of who we are meant to be. And so, Lord, remind us of who we are in Christ. Remind us of the peace that you have made in our relationship with the living God. And remind us of our privilege to promote peace in the relationships we have amongst ourselves as believers but even to promote peace in the lives of those outside the church in the world. Oh God, show us and equip us to be peacemakers, we pray. In Christ's name, amen. The goal of the Camp David Accords that sought to bring peace between Israel and Egypt in 1978 the goal of the Oslo Accords, actually two of them, that sought to broker peace between Israel and the Palestinian, Palestinian Liberation Organization in 1998 and in 1995, and the most recent peace accord, the Abraham Accords Peace Agreement between Israel and the United Arab Emirates and the country of Bahrain all sought to promote peace in the Middle East. While we appreciate these accords, we recognize that any attempt to bring peace between nations and between people groups and between people is a good thing. But we know that true and lasting peace will never be achieved 
among men by men. Peace will never be achieved among men by men. There is hope, however, that this world might enjoy peace. And the hope is Jesus. He brings peace between sinners and God. And his disciples are meant to promote peace in this world through the ministry of reconciliation which he has entrusted to us as his church. As we turn to this seventh beatitude, our goal is to look at first the elusiveness of peace. Secondly, the person of peace. And thirdly, the reconciliation of peace. Peace, firstly, is elusive, and even when it is achieved to a degree in this world, it is ever so fragile. The prophet Jeremiah explained in Jeremiah 6 and verse 14, they have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Now the backdrop to Jeremiah's statement, peace, peace, where there is no peace, is the fact that God had rejected Israel because of their sin and because of their rebellion, and he was bringing temporal judgment upon them. The disaster upon Jerusalem was impending, and we know that it actually came about in 586 B.C., actually beginning in 605 B.C., when Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the city wall and the city and took God's people into exile. So Jeremiah is writing during that time of this, the great city being besieged by the Babylonians. And many of the religious leaders were running around trying to convince the populace of Jerusalem that just like we sang, all is well, don't worry. <laughs> Everything will be fine. God will not bring disaster to the city of David. Well, they were wrong. And today many people are wrong, running around saying peace, peace, meaning we have achieved peace by human means, as if forgetting the very first part of Holy Scripture, which reminds us in Genesis chapter 3, that human history at the beginning, even before the offspring of Adam and Eve were born, the Lord communicated to Adam and Eve that there will be enmity because of their sin between people and God and between people. And this enmity runs Deep. It ran deep then and it runs deep now. Peace accords and peace treaties are simply no guarantee 
of peace. Peace, peace, where there is no peace. That describes our world today as it described Jerusalem as Nebuchadnezzar was about to be the instrument of God's temporal judgment upon it. This enmity is a result of the fall of mankind. We know the passage well, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. I'll just read the first part, which says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. Now, God was speaking to Satan here. From that point forward, enmity, conflict, would exist between people and God and between people. The first generation of Adam and Eve proves the point. Genesis 4 and verse 8. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. The first generation proves Genesis 3.15a. In light of this, when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, he was not saying a number of things. I mean, today we experience conflict. There is a lack of peace throughout the world, a lack of peace throughout families, a lack of peace throughout relationships, a lack of peace between nations, in our lives, in this world, in the church, there is conflict. And so in light of the reality of this conflict, Jesus cannot be saying, blessed are the peacemakers, that is, blessed are those who never face conflict. Now, maybe you would admit with me of wanting Jesus to mean that, of wanting there to be a possibility that we simply will not have to deal with conflict anymore. It seems like over the years I've had my share of dealing with conflict, and it would be really great if I've never had to deal with any conflict that I have caused with somebody else or try to walk other people through the conflict they have with one another. It would be really great if our world had no conflict, but Jesus is not saying that. Sometimes we cause conflict, sometimes we suffer conflict caused by others, and sometimes we have to mediate conflict. Conflict is part of life in this fallen world, Genesis 3.15a. Jesus can't possibly be meaning Blessed are those who seek peace at all costs. Yes, we, we, we want peace. And sometimes we think peace is the only option. But sometimes peace is not possible. In conflict, we should strive to deal with our own sin, with our own hearts. We should strive to be humble, to be repentant when we have caused conflict. We should strive to be forgiving when someone else has caused conflict with us. And we certainly should be willing to pursue 
conflict and resolving issues between other people, we should be willing to die to our anger and even our right to pursue peace. However, we can't control other people. We can't control circumstances. And sometimes in this fallen world, peace from our perspective simply isn't possible. And there's scriptural merit for this. Paul said in Romans 12 and verse 18, he said this, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. If possible, and sometimes living peaceably is not possible because of things out of our control. And Jesus is not saying here, keep the peace, i.e. appeasement. Ken Sandy's book, The Peacemaker, does a fantastic job of differentiating between a peacemaker and a peacekeeper. If you've not read that book, or if it's been a while since you've read that book, I would recommend you read it again or read it for the first time. It's been very helpful. We I think the last time we taught that book, Dan, you taught it here at Covenant. Incredibly helpful book. Why? Because there is so much conflict in our lives. We just simply can't get around it. And Sandy does a really fine job of bringing the Bible to bear upon being a peacemaker as we are called to be. So it's a helpful book. But a peacekeeper never really deals with conflict. A peacekeeper ignores conflict or a peacekeeper tries to manage the consequences of conflict. A peacekeeper, at the end of the day, promotes conflict. Keeping the peace is not Jesus' point. Peace by human effort is elusive to achieve. Jesus, however, brings peace between sinners and God, and his disciples are meant to promote peace through the ministry of reconciliation. And we have ample, ample opportunities to be who we are meant to be as peacemakers because peace is so elusive and conflict seems to be all around us. We simply can't avoid it. Well, why are Christ's disciples meant to promote peace in a world where peace is so elusive? I'd like to teach the world to sing in perfect The idea of this Christmas Coca-Cola commercial, this isn't a commercial for Coca-Cola. This commercial from a generation ago wanted world peace. They wanted world peace to be achieved. And of course, if world peace, world peace would be achieved more readily if everyone drank Coke, right? If it were just that easy, 
Seek peace. Have a code. Peace among men by men is not easy. In fact, I do not believe it's attainable. True peace is possible, however, because of the person of peace. And who is this person of peace? We're told about this person of peace in the Old Testament. You've got your Bibles. Turn to a very familiar passage. We'll be focused on this passage in a couple of months, Christmas time. But it's significant for today because it, it directs our hearts and our minds to this person of peace. It's Isaiah 9, 6 through 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And Jesus Christ fulfills this Old Testament promise and prophecy regarding the one coming to bring true and lasting peace. Christ is our peace and our reconciler with God and with one another. Christ brought peace between sinners and God. We we were once enemies of God, enmity, Genesis 3, 15a. We were, because of that, we were subjected to his judgment and wrath. But Jesus is the one, the person of peace, who came and his, who has removed that enmity between the sinner and God. And now let's look at the second part of Genesis 3.15. 3.15b, where we read, He, Christ, shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That's a reference to the fact that, yes, Jesus, the seed of the woman, will suffer. His heel will be bruised. But ultimately, Jesus, the seed of the woman, will strike a fatal blow against Satan, the serpent. It is a beautiful picture of the gospel. Jesus coming to deal with the root cause of that enmity, Satan and sin. And he deals with it in order to reconcile God's people to him. He destroys Satan and sin. That's what Genesis 3.15 promises. That's that first reference to the gospel in the Bible. Christ is our peace. He reconciles us to God and to one another. God declares that in Christ we're justified. Our guilt because of our sin is pardoned. And we are accepted righteous before God only because of that perfect righteousness of Christ imputed to us. And by faith we are justified solely on the merits of Christ's atoning work. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ is our peace. He reconciles sinners to God, and he reconciles people to one another. Christ is our peace. He reconciles 
us to one another as we see in Paul's summary in Ephesians 2. First he says, in verses 1 through 10, here is the good news of the gospel. And the good news of the gospel that Paul references here in this first part of Ephesians is that salvation comes by grace through faith in Christ. It is Christ Jesus who makes us alive to God, unites us to himself. We are saved not by works. We are saved by grace through faith. And then later in Ephesians, Paul says, because of that saving work of Christ, we are not only reconciled to God, but we are reconciled to one another. And listen to this from Ephesians 2, 14 through 16. For he himself, that is Christ himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And the grounds of Paul's teaching here is that hostility that was very apparent between the Jew and the Gentile because of the ceremonial and civil law that divided these two people groups. And Jesus came and abolished the civil and the ceremonial law. That's what he's saying here in Ephesians 2. And in fact, we could even add to that that Jesus abolishes every human category that divides people, be it race, economics, lineage, nationality, whatever it might be. Christ has destroyed these barriers that separate people. He's not only destroyed the barrier of sin that separates us from God, but the barriers that we naturally erect that keeps us in a state of enmity, hostility between one another, and he's taking care of that as well. The cross of Christ has accomplished this unity and harmony, not Coca-Cola and not peace accords between nations. And this peace is not merely a cessation of hostilities or appeasement that fakes peace. The cross doesn't keep peace. The cross made peace. It results in reconciliation. It results in healing. It results in oneness, wholeness, completeness, fulfillment. Jesus brings peace between sinners and God, and his disciples are meant to promote his peace through the ministry of reconciliation. He is the person of peace. He is our peace with God. He is our peace with one another. And even in relationships outside of the church, we are to strive to promote his peace in seeking reconciliation where possible and in proclaiming the gospel of reconciliation to the lost. That brings us to the last point 
the reconciliation of peace. We've had Dr. Richard Pratt here a number of times, and, and Richard is a great storyteller. And I remember some years ago, he told the story that probably dates back to the, the early 90s. And he was in Czechoslovakia at that time with a group there on some kind of a mission endeavor. And they had the opportunity to meet the ambassador of the United States of America in the U.S. Embassy there in uh, Czechoslovakia. And Richard said he knew who the ambassador was. And he was having a very difficult time controlling himself thinking about meeting the U.S. ambassador because he knew so much about her life. And all Richard said he had in mind prior to the ambassador coming out was on the good ship Lollipop. Do you know who sang that? Shirley Temple. Ambassador Shirley Temple. And Richard said, he just, he said, I don't know how I'm going to react. All, all I can think about is that little cute Shirley Temple singing her signature song on the good ship Lollipop. But all of that business of little Shirley Temple faded well into the background because of the solemnity and the gravity and the awesomeness of the moment when there in that great hall in the embassy with the American flag there and the door opened and a gentleman stepped out and said, the ambassador of the United States. And she came out. And Richard said they were just in awe. Ambassador Temple represented the president of the United States. President George H.W. Bush. We are ambassadors. But we do not represent a president that will at most serve eight years. We do not represent a nation even Rome fell. And what makes us think any country can assume they will be a great nation forever? We are an ambassador, not of a king, but of the king. We are an ambassador not of a country, but of the kingdom of the one and only king. I'll read again what we read from 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 20 as our assurance of pardon. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message 
of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As an ambassador, we are representing Christ and his message of peace with God. And we're to proclaim that message to the world. We implore sinners, as Paul said in 2 Corinthians, to be reconciled to God through Christ. Another way to say that is that we offer them the gospel of peace. Hey, friends. You feel trouble in your soul. You you want peace. But you feel like you can never have peace because of your sin. I say to you that Christ is your peace. Turn from your sin. Flee to him and be reconciled to God. Just that simple message has been entrusted to us to tell the world, to minister to the world this reconciling peace through Christ Jesus. Earlier, Jim read from Isaiah, I'll just read one verse, verse 7. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. The Apostle Paul quotes this in Romans chapter 10 as he there explores the fact that faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God, that no one comes to faith apart from the gospel message in the scriptures being declared to them in some way. And Paul also says that you, church, you, Christian, have the privilege have the responsibility as God's herald to proclaim the outward call of the gospel, to proclaim the gospel to all, to publish, to preach, to declare, to counsel, to testify, to publish this peace that comes in the person of Jesus Christ that reconciles sinners to God, that reconciles sinners to one another. What a privilege we have to play a part in the bringing of peace between sinners and God. Think of how this news would be so welcome to one who has been so troubled over his eternal destiny, who has tried all manner of things to deal with with this troubled soul. And yet we publish this good news of peace, hearing of the hope that all sinners have who truly repent and turn to Christ to finally come to have peace with God. And I am not naive to think that there may not be someone here in this sanctuary today or listening online that is yet to experience Christ's 
is our peace. And dear one, if that describes you, I plead with you to turn to Jesus, to flee to him, and find that everlasting peace that he has purchased and that he grants to experience that reconciling work where one finds pardon from sin and finds being accepted even now, even today, before God in heaven as righteous solely because of the righteousness of Christ imputed. That peace cannot be purchased. That peace cannot be earned. That peace cannot be won. But that peace is freely offered to all who turn from sin and trust in the one who is our peace. Would you do that today? If you do not know that peace, literally, which does pass all understanding, we have the privilege of publishing this peace. We also serve as an ambassador by pursuing peace as peacemakers and in promoting reconciliation between people. Sometimes we must promote peace because we have caused conflict. And when we are wrong, we are just as much an ambassador of Christ when we repent and ask forgiveness for the conflict. And oftentimes we come alongside others who are in conflict and we promote peace in the lives of our brothers. We represent Christ well when we promote peace either by our own owning our own sin and asking forgiveness for our own conflict and when we promote peace in the lives of others. When, when we are that third party, that mediator, bringing two people in conflict together and reminding them, Christ is our peace. Be reconciled to one another. Why? Because in the church, you're reconciled to God. How can you not be reconciled to one another? And as we serve as ambassadors of Christ, when we promote reconciliation, between one another, we must not forget that we're also called to do that even in the world outside the church. And the primary way we do that is to live at peace wherever possible, as Paul says in Romans, but also as we proclaim, as we publish the good news of Christ's peace, calling the world to Christ. We live in a fallen world, we live in an imperfect church, we will face conflict, we will cause conflict, we will be asked to help in conflict. Disciples are meant to be peacemakers. Disciples are meant to promote the peace of Christ through the ministry of reconciliation. And again, I call you to study your Bible and I also call you to consider reading Sandy's book, The Peacemaker. Jesus brings peace between sinners and God and his disciples are meant to promote peace through this ministry of reconciliation. But let me ask this question as we close. What is our motivation for being peacemakers? 
Is it because being a peacemaker means we get more blessings? Is it because being a peacemaker means we are living more like we are meant to be? No, the, the ultimate reason is because a peacemaker is called a son of God, the, la- the second part of this seventh beatitude. So who are the sons and daughters of God? In, in terms of the beatitude, it's those who have been reconciled to God through Christ Jesus. And I would ask us this question, where would, be, where would we be without Christ our peace? We would still be in Genesis 3.15a, enmity with God and enmity with others. We would be his enemies. We would be subject to his judgment and wrath. Consider all that Christ has done for you and me in being our peace. The profound reality is he gave his life that we would be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. How can we not willingly give our lives to be ambassadors of Christ, to be what we are meant to be, peacemakers? as we seek to promote his peace in our lives, in our church, and yes, in our world today. Jesus brings peace between sinners and God, and his disciples are meant to promote peace through the ministry of reconciliation. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we come before you and we ask for your grace and for your mercy as we consider to be by faith dependent upon your grace who we are meant to be in Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would be so kind as to pour out your grace upon us that we would be motivated by the reality that because you experience the ultimate hostility of this world for us. We have peace with God and with one another. And we pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you take your